Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. The case for looting? Is there a case for stealing other people's stuff? For taking businesses' livelihood? Going to black-owned businesses and stealing everything they invested in? Yes, there is. In fact, Vicki Osterweil has written a new book called The Case for Looting, which is now a platformed, respected piece of literature that National Public Radio takes very seriously, which is now going to be the new anthem of the Democrat Party. We go into that and so much more of news stories that you might have missed this week. It is a comprehensive episode. And if there's one episode that I encourage you to send to your Democrat friends or your undecided friends, send them this episode. It is highly persuasive. And it has a lot of facts that will resonate with reasonable people that are unsure of how to vote in this election. And of course, we know you should support President Donald Trump. Please consider supporting us and our program. We're doing two podcasts a day, one every weekend at charliekirk.com slash support, charliekirk.com slash support. Chip in some money if you can to help support our production team and the work we are doing here on the Charlie Kirk Show, charliekirk.com slash support. Email us your questions as always at freedom at charliekirk.com. The case for looting. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. What a week last week was. Thank you guys all for your amazing support of The Charlie Kirk Show. It was one of the more chaotic and important weeks that I've ever been involved in uh, opened up the Republican National Convention on Monday, had the opportunity to see the President of the United States close out the Republican National Convention on the White House lawn. And I want to thank all of you that have been supporting our program so generously and being behind the work that we are doing. I went from Washington, D.C. to Colorado, two stops in Montana, stop in Vegas, four speeches in California on Sunday, and now back in the action to give you guys the news that other people are not giving you. And we go a level deeper and give you the philosophical and historical reasons why things are happening in our country. So let's start with this story that, quite honestly, the activist media doesn't want to tell you about. A black police officer died on Sunday after being shot in the head while responding to a call Saturday night in St. Louis. His name was Tamaris L. Bohannon. St. Louis Police Department Chief John Hayden indicated that eight St. Louis police officers have, quote, been shot in the line of duty since June 1st. The Warren police that the left has endorsed wholeheartedly continues to turn more and more deadly as BLM Incorporated becomes the base of the Democrat Party. In fact, they've already become the base of the Democrat Party. A Trump supporter was killed in Portland because of his support of President Donald Trump. 
by a man who claims to be, quote, 100% Antifa on social media. And his social media pages are filled with BLM Incorporated propaganda. Now, imagine if someone who was killed in cold blood that was an outward Trump supporter, if they killed a BLM Inc. supporter, it would be all over the news. His name was Jay Bishop. President Trump was asked about this in the White House press briefing room by the activists at CNN. His answer was incredible. Play tape. Well, I understand they had large numbers of people that were supporters, but that was a peaceful protest. And paint is not, and paint is a defensive mechanism. Paint is not bullets. Uh, Your supporters, your supporters, and they are your supporters indeed, uh, shot a young gentleman who, uh, and killed him, not with paint, but with a bullet. And I think it's disgraceful. These people, they protested peacefully. They went in very peacefully. And I'll tell you what they're protesting. They're protesting when they turn on television or read whatever they may be reading, and they see a city like Chicago, where 78 people were shot and 13 died, or a city like New York, where the crime rate has gone through the roof, or a city like Portland, where the the entire city is ablaze all the time, and a mayor says, we don't want any help from the federal government. When these people turn that on and they see that, they say, this is not our country. This is not our country. That was a peaceful protest, totally. CNN does not care that a Donald Trump supporter was killed by a Joe Biden supporter. And as President Trump clearly said, also a CNN supporter, he pointed at CNN and said, these are your people. And he's right. The way she handled this question is proof of that. That's Caitlin Collins from CNN. And BLM Incorporated is giving no indication at all whatsoever that they plan on becoming any less radical. What if I told you that BLM Incorporated, and again, we on the Charlie Kirk Show call BLM, BLM Incorporated, because I never want to be confused with criticizing the true phrase, Black Lives Matter. But BLM Inc. does not actually even believe that Black Lives Matter. That's why they are quiet when police officers, black police officers, are killed in cold blood, such as Tamaris L. Bohannon. What if I told you that BLM Incorporated said, if you kill one of ours, it's time for us to kill one of yours? That BLM Incorporated speakers and leaders and activists are calling for a race war in this country. Play tape. What's ours is our children, our women, and our family. And I got to say, God damn it, if you kill one of ours, it's time for us to kill one of yours. I know everybody don't want to hear that. That's in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Sleepy southeast Kenosha, Wisconsin. I grew up in northern Illinois. I know the area very well. I used to play baseball in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Great part of our country. Hardworking Midwestern patriots are now seeing their communities and neighborhoods burned down to the ground because BLM Incorporated is deciding to manipulate a narrative where two police officers were trying to arrest someone accused and indicted for sexual assault, Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake evaded arrest despite being asked to stop, being tased, goes and tries to grab a deadly weapon, and the police officers shoot him. More and more information is going to come out about this incident. However, BLM Incorporated saw this as an opportunity to continue to fan the flames of a race war in our country to 
try to turn white people against black people, and they seized on this opportunity. This is an outright threat of full frontal domestic terrorism in our country. Not in Portland or Seattle. This is Kenosha, Wisconsin, a working class suburb, not a Marxist coastal metropolis. The left is not hiding it anymore. They have openly embraced their dangerous brand of radicalism. It is now destroying and disintegrating the fabric of who we are as a country. And as a byproduct of this, President Trump is now surging in the polls. Because of the arson and the terror and because of what we are seeing in the cities of our country, President Trump is now seeing very favorable political trends. A black police officer got shot in St. Louis over the weekend. Just in the last week, there have been five people shot and killed in Chicago, 32 shot and wounded, 37 total shot and five homicides. And in August to date, 60 people shot and killed, 426 people shot and wounded, 486 total shot, and 63 total homicides. Yet they only want to talk about an incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where a criminal under an arrest warrant for sexual assault, under indictment for sexual assault, evades arrest and tries to go grab a deadly weapon. And meanwhile, the BLM Incorporated Kenosha leadership is saying, if you kill one of ours, it's time for us to go kill one of yours. You heard the tape yourself. And CNN doesn't care that a Donald Trump supporter was killed in the streets. So this is happening in real time, everybody. In the last 72 hours post-Republican convention, a Trump supporter was killed for being a Trump supporter in Portland, Oregon. A black police officer was killed in St. Louis, a total silence from BLM Incorporated. And BLM Incorporated is saying that if you kill one of ours, we killed one of yours, calling for white versus black crime. If you let this play out, if you continue to allow this to play out, where does this go? And the rioting and the looting, which we're going to get to in a second, talking about the case for looting. What exactly does that mean? If you continue to play this out, more and more people are going to go into the streets like Kyle Rittenhouse, who, again, I'm not defending that Kyle Rittenhouse should have been there with an AR-15 walking the streets at 1130 at night in Kenosha, Wisconsin, when he lived in Antioch, Illinois, about 30 miles away. However, I'm also not going to say that he should be guilty of first-degree homicide. He was indicted for many different things, one of which was illegally owning a firearm under the age of 18. He's probably guilty of that. The other is wrongful discharge of a firearm. I'm not sure about that one. But first-degree murder? No way. And to try to turn this guy into the poster child of neo-Nazism or white supremacy is a slander campaign, is a character libel campaign on behalf of the activist media. And I'm able to have that kind of nuanced approach. I'm not going to say that Kyle Rittenhouse did nothing wrong. He was owning a firearm under the age of 18, one of the things he was indicted for. He probably shouldn't have been walking the streets, but why was he doing that? He was doing that because Democrat governor, let me say that again, Democrat governor, Tony Evers, did not call in the National Guard, despite President Trump offering the help via Mark Meadows, his chief of staff. And when that happens, some people start to think that it's time to play Batman. You see, the story of Batman best articulates exactly where this country is going. Gotham City was the metaphorical representation of a city run by thugs, criminals, and complete and total lawlessness. Let's just talk about the three Batman movies that are of our generation. Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises. Those three movies in particular. One of the main characters of the movie is the city of Gotham. You see, in certain television shows, such as Breaking Bad, the scenery, the place where the story takes 
is actually unfolding, such as Albuquerque, actually becomes a character in the film. Batman is no different. In Batman, Gotham City actually was part of the story. A lot of the characters were always referencing Gotham as if it was a person, as if it was something worth redeeming, something worth saving, as if the journey was not the individual's journey. It was a journey to try to bring Gotham through a path of redemption. And so we know through Batman Begins where Bruce Wayne himself goes through that redemption journey, where he himself goes through a hero's journey and embraces his darkest fear and uses that fear for good. But really the story of Batman is what happens when all civil society burns down around you. Should someone who engages in vigilante justice rise up and enforce the law? The story of Batman is actually very complicated because it doesn't actually answer that question easily. On the surface, it's like, oh yeah, of course he should. Of course you should. However, Bruce Wayne, through Batman, through an anonymous way of purveying justice, he's criminalized, nearly dies, has a tough way to go about it, loses his closest friends. It's not exactly an easy passage. However, here's the problem. When Kenosha, Wisconsin turns into Gotham City, Kyle Rittenhouse is not Batman. He's not. In fact, the story of Batman, archetypically and metaphorically, really challenges the viewer as to ask the question, what do you do when a city that you love, your home, goes into anarchy and to chaos? And this is a constant question in all three Batmans. It's actually the one thing that is a continual question that is being asked in Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises. And Gotham goes under different forms of micro-tyranny, remember that term that we've used before on the Charlie Kirk show, and chaos. And the one that is the most famous, I think, out of all three Batman movies is the Joker, where the Joker is able to have widespread chaos and terror, turning uncertainty within the police force, getting people not to even trust their own neighbor, doing things that are so pathologically sadistic. And then, of course, the third Batman movie, where Bane takes over the entire city and holds it hostage where Bane, and this came out in 2012, was able to almost take over the equivalent of New York City and not just have widespread lawlessness. Remember, what did Bane do? Bane went to the prisons and opened up the prisons and basically said prisons are not relevant. Now, I don't want to go too deep into the Batman metaphors or analogies, but I am saying these stories that resonate with hundreds of millions of people worldwide they resonate for a reason, not just because with cool gadgets and people flying from buildings. There's plenty of movies like that. The Batman story resonates with us because it asks that question of what would you be willing to do if a place that you knew and you grew up in all of a sudden turned into anarchy? And the problem with the story is that some people actually think they can then be a superhero. When the police are not able to do their job and something turns into Gotham City, you got a problem. And that problem is made by Democrat governors. And Democrat mayors. And it has been a problem for a couple decades. And now we are seeing the worst months of riots and arson since the 1960s. And if this continues to election day, it will be the worst riots and arson in American history. And I'm going to dive deeper into this point in just one second. But first, who's your wireless provider? AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile? What if I told you Pure Talk USA uses the exact same network as one of those carriers? Same towers, same exact coverage, but literally costs you half. I know it sounds crazy. When I first heard about Pure Talk, I thought, this is too good to be true. But then I looked at their customer reviews. 
Sarah from Abilene, Texas said, the service is amazing. Love the price. The speed is quick. The reception is perfect. Eugene from Granbury, Texas says, good service. Haven't any problems in our travels. We move around the state pretty much. Since giving up AT&T, we really don't feel there's any difference in the level of service, quality, or accessibility. We're getting ready to put the service on our iPads. Switching is very, very easy. You can keep your phone and they'll just send you a SIM card so you can get the same great service you currently have, but at half the price. Listen to this. Unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data is just $20 a month. The average person is saving $400 a year. So why is it so much cheaper than AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile? No retail stores, no billion-dollar year ad campaigns, no value adds to your contract that you end up paying for. So here's the deal. Unlimited talk, unlimited text, plus two gigs of data for just $20 a month. All you need to do is grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, and say the keyword Charlie Kirk. That's pound 250 and say keyword Charlie Kirk. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. And just to continue on the Jacob Blake story, which has now dominated our entire news cycle, where Drew Brees, who used to be an American patriot, who's now a BLM incorporated pandering coward, said he's going to put Jacob Blake's name on his jersey or on his helmet. Well, here's some facts. Blake is accused in the criminal complaint, which was obtained by the Post, of breaking into the home of a woman he knew and sexually assaulting her. The victim, who is only identified by her initials in the paperwork, told police she was asleep in bed with one of her children when Blake came into the room around 6 a.m. and allegedly said, I want my stuff. I'm using a PG word, the record states. She told cops Blake then used his finger to sexually assault her, sniffed it and said, quote, smells like you've been with other men, the criminal complaint alleges. The officer who took the statement said she, quote, had very difficult time telling him this and cried as she told how the defendant assaulted her, end quote. This is who BLM Incorporated is raising up, someone under criminal indictment for sexually assaulting a woman. Now everyone's innocent until proven guilty, but Drew Brees, this is who you want to put on your helmet? Drew Brees will not say something nice about our country anymore. Drew Brees once tried to via Twitter, and then he ended up being a spineless coward. Drew Brees was going to actually stand up for what was right and good, but Drew Brees cares much more about his tens of millions of dollars. Meanwhile, people like Herschel Walker, who we have coming up on our podcast on Wednesday, has been taking a definitive stand against BLM Incorporated and has a backbone, unlike Drew Brees. Drew Brees is happy to have the name of a criminal on the back of his jersey. And so in response to the rioting and the looting, I want to replay a tape from Don Lemon last week. Suddenly, the Democrats have come into focus, caring about the rioting and the looting and the terror happening in our country. As Ernest Hemingway used to say, and we've used this expression a lot here in the Charlie Kirk Show, things happen gradually, then suddenly. A month and a half ago, I predicted that there was going to be a Trump surge. I saw the underlying trends. Many people thought that we on the Charlie Kirk Show were being too bullish. I went on the record on Ben Shapiro's radio show with Michael Knowles hosting saying, Donald Trump's about to get within striking distance in six weeks or less. By the end of August, early September, this is going to be Trump's race to lose. Some people doubted me. A lot of people thought we were way ahead of our skis and we were wishful thinking, but that's exactly where the race is right now. It is a statistical tie between President Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Now, mind you, as these trends have been continuing, there's a reason for it. I grew up in northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin, and the number one, two, three, four, five issue is not the virus right now. It is the riots, looting, and arson amongst swing voters. 
And almost like a wake-up call to the entire media intelligentsia, which is the communications arm of the Democrat Party and the Joe Biden campaign, Don Lemon, who's a Marxist, said on his show in a conversation with Chris Cuomo, almost as a wake-up call to the entire left wing, hey, Democrats, you guys are getting something wrong and you're missing something. Not because innocent black lives are being slaughtered in the streets, not because businesses are being burned down, not because black-owned livelihoods are disappearing. No, it's because it's showing up in the polling. What a cynical way to view the world. Play the tape of Don Lemon. But before I do, just remember this was last week as Don Lemon was trying to raise the alarm, put up the red flag to Democrats, say, hey, guys, there's about to be some polling you're not going to like because you have taken the wrong stance on the riot issue. Play tape of Don Lemon. I do think that... Uh, this what you said what's happening in Kenosha is a Rorschach test for the entire country. And I think this is a blind spot for Democrats. I think Democrats are ignoring this problem or hoping that it will go away and it's not going to go away. And so unless someone comes up with a solution over the next 73 days or 70, so however many days, 68 days, 68 days. So it's not going to the problem is not going to be fixed by then. But what they can do, and I think maybe Joe Biden may be afraid to do it. I'm not sure. Maybe he won't. Maybe he is. He's got to address it. He's got to come out and talk about it. He's got to do a speech like Barack Obama did about race. He's got to come out and tell people that he is going to deal with the issue of police reform in this country. And that what's happening now is happening under Donald Trump's watch. On Donald Trump's watch. And when he is the president, Kamala Harris is the vice president, then they will take care of this problem. But guess what? The rioting has to stop. Chris, as you know and I know, it's showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is the only thing, it is the only thing right now that is sticking. And the Democrats tonight stuck with that, right? And they also stuck with the theme that you said, the coronavirus. You got coronavirus and you have Kenosha. So now Joe Biden got the wake up call and Joe Biden's team got the wake up call from Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo. And this all of a sudden became the dominating news story the last couple of days. Don Lemon was the straw that broke the camel's back. We've been trying to have a conversation around riots and looting and arson for months now. And in a very unusual, very ironic way. BLM Incorporated, which in early June became the nemesis of President Trump's reelection campaign, which became very difficult for Republicans to wrestle with because BLM Incorporated actually was given power and was given credibility. People saw who they really were. They saw that they wanted to start a race war in this country. They saw that they wanted to destroy the Western prescribed nuclear family. And instead of BLM Incorporated building a sustainable political movement, which very well could have won 100 seats in Congress and had a 60 to 70 percent approval rating, BLM Incorporated might actually now win the president four more years. BLM Incorporated might be the reason as to why Republicans keep the Senate and might make record gains in the House. Joe Biden comes out at the insistence of his handlers. I think Joe Biden is traveling now. I don't really know what Joe Biden traveling around the country looks like. But Joe Biden gave a speech where he was trying to blame the arson and the terrorism and the crime on Donald Trump. Now, I don't like doing the I told you so thing, 
But we did call this before anybody else last Tuesday evening when I said Joe Biden is going to come out and blame the riots and the arson on Donald Trump. The moment I saw Don Lemon say what he said, I said, Joe Biden's going to come out and deflect and do the Orwellian gaslighting projection. We're going to talk more about what gaslighting means later in this week. We have a whole podcast coming out on that because it's a very important term that everybody understands. Where Joe Biden is going to completely blame Donald Trump for something he and his party is responsible for. Here's Joe Biden saying that it's really Donald Trump's fault that this is all happening. Play tape. Look, if Donald Trump wants to ask the question, who will keep you safer as president? Let's answer that question. First, some simple facts. When I was vice president, violent crime fell 15% in this country. We did it without chaos and disorder. And yes, we did it with Democratic mayors in most of the major cities in this country. The murder rate now is up 26% across the nation this year under Donald Trump. Do you really feel safer under Donald Trump? Now, in the same press conference, I I have to play this tape. If you can understand what Joe Biden is saying here, email me and you will win Many, many signed copies of the New York Times bestseller, The MAGA Doctrine. This is a little bit of a tangent and a diversion of what we're talking about today. But can you understand what Joe Biden is saying here? Play tape. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, has taken more than 100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just, it's a, when you think about it, more lives this year than any other year for the past 100 years. So the Joe Biden speaking to her, not exactly going well. And here's the one unintended consequence of BLM Incorporated. This goes back to one of our guiding theses here on the Charlie Kirk show that the two political parties in America actually operate much more like sports teams, team right and team left. Now, what do I mean by that? So if you're a huge New York Giants fan or if you're a big Ohio State Buckeyes fan, when you are cheering your team, you're not exactly impartial. What do I mean by that? For football fans out there, this is something you can really resonate with. You always want holding to be called on the other team, but if your own team holds and you score a touchdown, you kind of just easily kind of cast it aside. When there's the instant replay and it's kind of unclear whether or not the right foot was in the back of the end zone, but you know it might benefit your team, you really hope you still get that call. So in sports and athletics, objectivity and almost that team mindset sets in and that's perfectly fine. For athletics, it's understandable. I shouldn't say it's fine. It's very understandable. The same thing happens in politics where you put on the jersey of your team and you're cheering for your team no matter what. And so because of that, there are certain coalitions that in June, Team Democrat and Team Republican basically were forced to support. Team Democrat decided to become the anti-police party. Team Republican was the pro-police party. And it's not that Republicans were ever not the pro-police party. It's actually that Democrats actually always used to win the police votes. And because of that, the Democrats have actually decided that they no longer want to be the police party. Republicans fell backwards into being the pro-police party. Now, the Democrats were happy to see this because in early June, there was widespread condemnation of police, mostly because of the videos that came out from Derek Chauvin putting his knee on George Floyd, resulting in the death of George Floyd. And so the Democrats were really happy to see Republicans embrace law and order, embrace law enforcement, and embrace police officers. However, as the riots, the looting, and the terrorism continued, the Democrats slowly and very slowly, I have to say, this was not sudden. They were not aware or alert 
In fact, I think they were far too focused on lockdowns and masks, and the Democrats did not realize that there is real suffering and terror and safety concerns happening all across the industrial Midwest, that when decent, reasonable swing voters, especially in the suburbs in the Midwest, started to be filled with fear, which is understandable when BLM Incorporated has a terror campaign all across the Midwest, they retreat quickly to the party that is known as the pro-police party. So almost as a pendulum, unintentionally, it's not that the Republicans designed this. It was an unintentional stroke of political luck where the crisis that happened with decent and reasonable Americans, as soon as they said, we want more safety, they looked around, they said, wait, Who runs the police party again? That's the Republicans. Let's go vote for them. And this is exactly why we have seen Donald Trump have a double-digit boost since mid-July, something that political prognosticators and pundits thought to be nearly impossible. Where this race stands today defies the laws of political gravity. Not for us, because we actually track these trends. We talk to real people. We at Students for Trump at Turning Point Action actually knock on thousands and thousands of doors. We get hundreds of thousands of points of contact throughout all of our social media channels every single week and millions every single month. And we get thousands of emails from all of you at freedom at charliekirk.com, which is exactly why in the top battleground polls, general election Trump versus Biden, on the 12th of August to the 15th of August, an ABC News Washington Post poll had Joe Biden up 10 points. Fast forward to today, as you are hearing this podcast, an Emerson poll has Joe Biden up two points. It happened that quickly within the margin of error. And we all know that there are silent Trump supporters. We all know that there is a silent majority out there. If the polls are in striking distance, it's really Trump up two or three. This is why there was a shock poll in the last couple of days From Trafalgar, with 1,048 likely voters, a bigger sample size than the other polls that preceded it, that showed President Donald Trump up two points in Michigan. Michigan that had President Donald Trump down 15 points in July. So you could probably say, I don't believe the polls, and that's fine. But you can't dismiss the entire trend of a poll. That's why we have moving averages. That's why I love realclearpolitics.com. My friend Tom Bevan does a great job of running this website. It's one of the few independent websites left that actually just aggregate news, don't put forth an opinion, and just put forth the data that you can draw your own conclusions for. Tom Bevan deserves a lot of credit, and I hope to have him as a guest on our podcast very soon. He's a very fair analyzer of the news and a very smart person, very ethical. I think very highly realclearpolitics.com. People ask, where can I get polls and trends and things I trust? Realclearpolitics.com does a great job. And so when you look at these moving averages and you put them all together, it's because the Democrats decided to be completely distanced from any sort of law enforcement or police support at all. And so then you go back to Thursday evening So on Thursday evening, as the president was wrapping up his speech, I turned to my right and looked over my shoulder and I started to hear more and more noise. The president was giving his last couple remarks, the fireworks about to go up, and I knew this noise. I know this noise because I have confronted these people for the last seven years. 
ever since I've started speaking on college campuses in the earliest days of Turning Point USA. And this is the noise of Marxist terrorists. This is the noise of people that storm me out of a restaurant with the great Candace Owens in Philadelphia. This is the noise of the people that try to prevent me from speaking at Stanford, UC Berkeley, Brown University, University of Georgia, University of Texas, Austin, Texas State University, DePaul University. Anywhere I speak that is major, that has a significant student population, I know this noise. It was the trumpets, it was the rage, it was the screaming, it was the shrieking. And I sent a message to my team, I said, somebody's going to get hurt, because I knew exactly what was happening. Of course, the activist media was anticipating this, they wanted it to happen, the activist media would love to see nothing more than an ambush. This is a political ambush that was set up on the streets of Washington, D.C., where you had 2,500 or so of the most important Republicans in the D.C. metro area and all across the country, donors, radio show hosts, pastors, senators, congressmen, cabinet secretaries, former office holders, all having to leave the White House grounds. And if you know the geography of the White House, you can envision it with me through the East Entrance, where 4,000-plus BLM Inc. terrorists were waiting for them. Now, thankfully, I know the White House grounds very well. I've been there multiple times. I have had the opportunity to meet with the president on many occasions. So with the people that I was traveling with, including my girlfriend and our chief operational officer at Turning Point USA, Tyler Boyer, and some of our top supporters, I was able to find another entrance and avoid the BLM Incorporated terrorists. If I went out there, those terrorists, it wouldn't end well. Let's just put it that way. Now, it still took me a couple hours to leave the grounds because I had to go all the way west to go all the way north to avoid the vigilantes, the left-wing vigilantes that were hunting down Republicans in the street. But what ended up happening? Senator Rand Paul got assaulted. Pastors got chased through the streets. People got smacked across the face, spit on, harassed. Now, I want you to imagine for a second. Here's a thought exercise for you. I want you to imagine if 4,000 Trump supporters with masks, signs, weapons, were waiting outside of the Obama White House after an event that President Barack Obama hosted when Democrat senators, Democrat donors were there. How do you think the media would react? They would treat it as Charlottesville 2.0. That's how they would treat it. They would say that President Donald Trump has brought chaos and anarchy to the streets, that President Donald Trump is to blame for his supporters assaulting Democrat senators and congresspeople and people like myself that might not have even been within a thousand miles would be forced to condemn and forced to repudiate the violent mob outside of the White House. However, this happened just a couple days ago and the activist media didn't cover it. The way that the, the activist media covered Senator Rand Paul being assaulted was this. Senator Rand Paul says an angry mob of protesters attacked him, even though there's a video. It's just this little slight towards freedom-loving conservatives is so unbelievably blatant. I love Senator Rand Paul. He has been a three-times guest here on the Charlie Kirk Show. He's a friend of mine. He's a fighter for liberty. He hates war. He loves our country. But can this guy get a break? <laughs> He's been shot at at a baseball practice, a congressional baseball game. He got the Chinese coronavirus before any other U.S. senator. Got assaulted in the street right here. He got assaulted in his front lawn by a neighbor, which broke his rib and hospitalized him. 
man, Senator Rand Paul just can't get a break. Love that guy. But it seems that he is a primary target of the activist and the arsonist left. And they go out of their way to target him. And who else was accosted and harassed? Alice Johnson, black woman who was pardoned by President Donald Trump. So BLM Incorporated was screaming and harassing a black woman who was pardoned by President Donald Trump. And the Democrat Party even platformed a murderer at their convention. That's right. The Democrat Party platformed a murderer. We're going to get to that in just one second. But first, in our fast-paced world, it's tough to make reading a priority. At least it used to be. A new app called Thinker, T-H-I-N-K-R, has solved that problem by summarizing the key ideas from new and noteworthy nonfiction, giving you access to an entire library of great books in bite-sized form. Read or listen to hundreds of titles in a matter of minutes, including old classics like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, to recent bestsellers like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. If you want to challenge your preconceptions or expand your horizons and become a better thinker, Go to thinker.org slash Charlie. That's T-H-I-N-K-R dot org slash Charlie to start an extended free trial and put your mind in motion. We love Thinker here on the Charlie Kirk Show. I use it quite often. If you guys want to get through big ideas quickly, go to thinker.org slash Charlie. I love it. They do a great job. Donna Hilton kidnapped the man, tortured him, raped him, held him hostage, and then murdered him. A kidnapper, a rapist, and a murderer spoke at the Democrat convention. You probably didn't hear about that from your activist media daily news rundown. They hailed her as an example of a civil rights activist, a murderer. And this shouldn't surprise anyone because we know exactly who is behind the Democrat Party. For us in the Charlie Kirk Show, we have been doing our best to factually warn the entire country that if you give power to the Democrat Party, you are giving power to a party that platforms rapists kidnappers, and murderers by the name of Donna Hilton. You can look it up yourself. Donna Hilton spoke at the Democrat National Convention, and most of any of the media does not care at all. Joe Biden is directly connected to the BLM Incorporated terrorism that is happening in our country. Joe Biden is trying to distance himself from it, as you heard in some of the tape previously. Joe Biden tries to say that this is Donald Trump's fault. But how about 13? 13 staffers. At least 13 members of Joe Biden's campaign staff have made donations to a group that helped Minneapolis terrorists get out of jail on bail, according to a report. The staffers posted on Twitter that they contributed money to a group called the Minnesota Freedom Fund, which opposes the practice of making people who are arrested pay money to avoid pretrial imprisonment, Reuters reported. Campaign spokesman Andrew Bates told Reuters that Biden himself opposes cash bail, calling it modern-day debtor's prison. Following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, the Minnesota Freedom Fund announced they raised over $20 million over four days. Prior to Floyd's death, the group had only raised $75,000. And of course, they had people such as Seth Rogen and others contribute to that fund. And by the way, PolitiFact, who's not exactly fair at fact-checking, even came out and said that it is true that campaign staffers for U.S. Democrat 2020 presidential candidate Joe Biden contributed to a bailout fund for terrorists arrested after the police in custody death of George Floyd. Even Snopes confirmed that, not PolitiFact. Snopes confirmed that. Also remember the person that is one heartbeat away and the shadow candidate behind Joe Biden, the most liberal member of the United States Senate, Senator Kamala Harris. In June, Senator Harris, who is, of course, Biden's running mate, 
said, quote, everyone beware because the protests are, quote, not going to let up and they should not. And we should not play tape. Clear that I know that there are protests still happening in yes. major cities across the United States. I'm just not seeing the reporting on it that I that right, I had right. for the first few weeks. That's um, right. But they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. And that's they're not. This is a movement. I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. And and everyone beware because they're not going to stop. It is going to. They're not going to stop before election day in November, and they're not going to stop after election day. And that should be. Everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up and they should not. And we should not. So there's Senator Harris supporting the perpetual arson and destruction of our country. And so then I was flipping through realclearpolitics.com over the weekend. And I just kind of like reading the other side. And again, I, I do a couple hours of reading every single day and I try to distill it into a program for you guys twice every single day and once on the weekend. So thank you for those of you that support us at charliekirk.com slash support. You guys help us do our job, hire the staff, the whole production team, give this to you on YouTube. If you guys did not know this and you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, it's also available on YouTube. And if you're on YouTube, make sure you guys hit that subscribe button with the bell right where my hand motion is going right there. Make sure you guys hit the bell. I was flipping through Real Clear Politics and I saw this headline. I said, that can't be right. Come on. And it said, an argument for looting. It was an NPR article by reporter Natalie Escobar, author Vicki Osterweil, whose book, you might not have heard of this, is called In Defense of Looting, came out on last Tuesday. I'm actually probably going to order a copy because I'm so curious how she makes these arguments. In fact, I want to walk you through her reasoning on this very carefully. Now, of course, NPR goes out of their way to platform her with legitimacy. That's where your taxpayer dollars are going. And that's when Republicans passed the stimulus bill, 97 to nothing with Democrats. NPR got tens of millions of dollars. I believe it was $75 million. We're going to get a fact check on that. But I believe it was $75 million that NPR received of taxpayer funding. Yeah, it is $75 million. $75 million so they could do journalism like this to interview people like Vicki Osterweil. For parents out there, listen to this of young children or of teenagers or people in college, if you're paying for your children's education to go to college, they're learning these ideas. They're learning this Vicky, this Vicky Osterweil garbage that says in defense of looting. This is now what's considered intellectual in the university. And NPR perfectly platformed it as if this is a widely accepted and reasonable opinion. So you read this article and it was done again by Natalie Escobar. The first line by the reporter tells you everything you need to know about her feelings about the author, Vicki Osterweil's book. Quote, in the, last, in the past months of demonstrations for black lives, there's been a lot of hand-wringing about looting. Hand-wringing? Let me define hand-wringing for you. And this woman, Natalie Escobar, you should tweet at her your opinions of what, how she platforms Vicky Osterweil, the terrorist promoter. Hand-wringing, overwrought. Hand-wringing means an overwrought expression of concern or guilt. Overwrought? I don't think so. There is nothing overwrought about being concerned and terrified about looting. She's already trying to dismiss our concerns about other people stealing our stuff. She's apologizing and justifying criminality. And so she says this, quote, a new energy of resistance is building across the country. Now, as protests and riots continue to grip cities, she argues that looting is a powerful tool. 
to bring out about real lasting change in society. The rioters who smash windows and take items from stores, she says, and I'm reading directly here, are engaging in a powerful tactic that questions the justice of, quote, law and order and the distribution of property and wealth in an unequal society. So now, first of all, it's really hard to go through the amount of Marxist class warfare throughout all of this. But this is where our taxpayer dollars are going. And when you educate your kid, the public school system, and give them to colleges, they learn all this stuff chapter and verse. They don't learn about Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, Aurelius, Cicero, Locke, Burke, Hume, or the great thinkers that built Western society, but they will learn about Vicky Osterweil who tries to justify looting. Do you think that Somalians or Venezuelans would challenge that law and order results in a more just society? Elon Omar likes this line of thinking. Do you think Elon Omar yearns to go back to Mogadishu in Somalia? The reporter continues to interview her, Natalie Escobar, and NPR, where your taxpayer dollars are going at National Public Radio. And it says, quote, when I use the word looting, I mean the mass expropriation. It's a tough word to pronounce. Of property, mass shoplifting during a moment of upheaval or riot. That's the thing. I'm defending. I'm not defending any situation which property is stolen by force. It's not a home invasion either. It's about a certain kind of action that's taken during protests and riots. So Vicki Osterweil, interviewed by Natalie Escobar, she's okay with stealing just as long as it's not at gunpoint. So let's define looting. Goods, especially private property, taken from an enemy in war, stolen money or valuables. Never mind that this is stealing. It's actually in the definition or theft, which inherently means taken against somebody's will or to forcibly remove property from another person. What's most striking is the author is equating the violence and rioting and looting to an act of war. In other words, plunder, meaning you have defeated your enemy and you're entitled to your plunder or your loot. This is perfectly consistent with the BLM Incorporated leader in Chicago who said that when they stole all those items and merchandise from black-owned businesses, they were getting their reparations. No, you're actually just acting like thugs and criminals and stealing other people's stuff. You were stealing stuff from Muhammad Ashik, the immigrant who's been in our country for 42 years, who lost over $700,000 in merchandise of other people's products as you owned a watch repair shop business on Wabash Avenue and his whole life is over. That's who you're stealing from, BLM Incorporated and Vicki Osterweil, who is a pro-criminal advocate. It's actually really disappointing that I have to break this down right now. When I was prepping this podcast and I was going through the thoughts for this show and I was going through the facts and I was rereading this article, I actually grew with sadness for our country. I grew in a little bit of a mood of despair. And I don't get there lightly. And I'm not pessimistic about the future of our country. But the fact that national public radio, which actually used to be somewhat reasonable when I was growing up. I grew up listening to national public radio. It's what you do in the Midwest. Everyone listens to NPR. Would platform somebody like Vicki Osterweil, who, by the way, is a white liberal who is justifying the looting And stealing, which is, of course, not just a violation of our laws, but a violation of the Ten Commandments and a violation of stealing private property, which is multi-thousand year progress that we made that is so obvious. It's sick. It's disappointing. And it's so troubling. 
So just take what I'm saying very seriously, because this is not just some fringe ideology that's sitting on the shelf. This is National Public Radio and a woman that is writing a book that is basically making the case for stealing other people's stuff, for stealing items in a store, because, oh, yeah, people need it. Why not? Man, if you were able to take whatever you need, what an immoral society that would be. That is exactly where we are heading. I want to tell you guys about Good Ranchers, though. Good Ranchers began with the standard of bringing top quality, 100% American-born, raised and harvested meat to families across America. This vision was instilled into them from their grandparents that owned community grocery stores and believed in trust, charity, and family values. GoodRanchers.com partners directly with American ranchers from across the U.S. to bring the highest quality meat straight to your door. I love meat that is high quality, and I don't like the type of stuff that is throwaway, that is not organic or grass-fed. GoodRatcher.com gets 100% American-raised beef right to your door. Beef the way it used to be. Get America's best grass-fed, grain-finished beef delivered straight to your door. Don't forget that shipping is always free and the taste is always delicious. GoodRanchers.com, 100% American beef, chicken, and more. Support American farmers, support the American economy. Skip the grocery store, mystery meat, and buy direct at GoodRanchers.com. So here's what you do. Get 100% American-born, raised, and harvested beef and chicken delivered straight to your door. Visit GoodRanchers.com for perfectly packaged food for your family. Get the good stuff with Good Ranchers, T-bones, ribeyes, fillets, and more. And don't forget, home delivery is always free. GoodRanchers.com. And use that promo code CHARLIE to save $30 off your purchase. That's GoodRanchers.com right now. Use the code CHARLIE. Save $30 for a limited time only. GoodRanchers.com. Promo code CHARLIE. So this interview continues with Vicki Osterweil, who said this, that looting is a highly racialized word from its very inception in its English language. It's taken from Hindi, loot, which means goods or spoils. And it appears in the English colonial officer's handbook. Do you see what she did there? She turned looting into something white people describe about widespread crime. Pretty sure that people of color don't appreciate it when you steal their stuff either. The article continues by saying, often looting is more common among movements that are coming from below. It tends to be an attack on business, a commercial space, maybe a government building. Taking those things that otherwise would be commodified and controlled and sharing them for free. Arguing that there shouldn't be private property. Remember, we talked about this many times on the Charlie Kirk show. This whole thing can be boiled down to a conversation about human nature and should we have private property or not. In fact, I said this on the Mark Levin show before all the riots, looting, and arson back in February when I was promoting my book, The MAGA Doctrine. And I said, what's really going on here is a discussion about private property. They want to get rid of private property. That's what's really going on here is a debate on whether people should be able to own property, own things, own stuff. The left doesn't believe that. Remember, Obama called business owners fat cats. That's a gateway argument because if you think someone's a fat cat, then why not take their stuff? Obama laid the philosophical foundation with Joe Biden, allow the looting, the rioting, and the arson to happen. It's an assault on property. Now, what is property, though? People say, oh, I can just go steal a microwave or a refrigerator. Property is somebody's investment, time, energy, dreams, production. Property is not just stuff. It's other people's connection to the material world that they are trying to trade value for value. And so the author continues by going to saying, 
Looting gets people what they need for free immediately, which means they are capable of living and reproducing their lives without having to rely on jobs or a wage, which during COVID times is widely unreliable or particularly in these communities is often not available or comes at a great risk. That's looting most basic tactical power as a political mode of action. Now, the fact that Natalie Escobar, the author of this piece at National Public Radio, did not push back at all and platform this book as just a reasonable book, all I can say is this. When National Public Radio covers anything I ever say, if they were to cover the MAGA doctrine, it would be so combative, so disagreeable. And yet this is where your taxpayer dollars are going. The fact Natalie Escobar gave this article credence, gave it credibility, is very troubling about where our country is headed. really is. Now, I'm not saying this book should not have been reviewed. But my goodness, Natalie Escobar, the fact that you just verbatim posted what she had to say and platformed it with the preface that you did. I'll let you draw your own conclusions to that one. So according to her argument, Osterweil here, and by the way, this article is not insignificant. National Public Radio is a mainstream publication that is taxpayer funded, and this is now going to be an argument that is being made throughout the Democrat Party, and this is what they believe, the case for looting. And yet most of the activist media does not cover this at all. The argument she is making is that if you need something, you should be able to steal something. That if you're hungry, go steal a banana. If you're cold, go steal a coat. That regardless of the barrier of purchasing that thing, if you need it, then go get it. It is the death of property. It is the beginning of exactly what Marx wanted, which is no one knows anything, take what you want, and then he thinks you're actually going to get back into a state of utopia. But we all know that hell is a bottomless pit. Yeah, and by the way, the woman that raided the Victoria's Secret shop in Manhattan, I'm sure that's all just about eating. And so the author's opinion, if you need something, take something. If you are in need in any capacity whatsoever, or you have a desire, well, why should you have any sort of self-control or discipline? Why should you have to work? Why save your money? Just walk into a Target and take what you need. But there's more. The article continues by saying, and in a tax... The idea that in order for someone to have a roof over their head and have a meal ticket, they have to work for a boss in order to buy things that people just like them somewhere else in the world had to make under the same conditions. It points to a way in which that's unjust. So right here, right now, Vicki Osterweil, I'd love to have you as a guest on my program. I would. I would love to have a conversation where I just ask you questions. And attacks to the idea of property, Vicki Osterweil says. Attacks the idea that in order for someone to have a roof over their head or have a meal ticket, they have to work for an evil boss. Well, look, we know exactly what all of this language means. We know exactly where this is headed. It is a disintegration of our entire civil society. So now you can go to Amazon.com and go buy Vicki Osterweil's book for $21. So Vicki Osterweil, who says, we need to attack the idea of property. Why don't you give your book away for free, Vicki Osterweil? Why are you charging money for your book if you don't believe in property? Why don't you give it away for free and just ask for a suggested donation? Why would you 
dare have us live under this awful, horrific, and immoral market system where I have to give you money. I might have to go work to go buy your book to tell me not to go work and just to go steal. And again, she said working for a wage voluntarily and paying for those things that you want is fundamentally unjust. And I mean no sarcasm. I would love to have her on our show. I would treat her with respect. I would ask her questions. And in fact, she would actually probably sell a lot of books if she came on my show. I actually think that she would sell a lot of books. So the invites to you, Vicki Osterweil, if you want to come on the Charlie Kirk show, I'd really enjoy that. In fact, I've been looking for liberals to come on the Charlie Kirk show for months and just no one says yes. I don't know why. It continues by saying, and it demonstrates that without police and without state oppression, we can have things for free. And it demonstrates without police and without state oppression, I'm repeating, we can have things for free. Ah, yes. Stealing somebody else's production, the labor, the patent, the ingenuity. When they make an iPhone and they put it in the store and you can grab it, that is for free. I hope you sense and realize the danger of what I'm reading to you in National Public Radio by Natalie Escobar and Vicki Osterweil. She continues by saying, human beings are inherently self-interested. The very basis of property in the United States is derived through whiteness and through black oppression, through the history of slavery and settler domination of the country. Looting strikes at the heart of property and of whiteness and of police. It goes to the very root of the way those three things are interconnected. Of course, she believes that property and police are racist. She believes our entire country is rooted on white supremacy, which is a false, demented lie. She also argues that property is only derived through oppression and slavery. Wrong. The founding fathers never meant private property to be ownership of other human beings. It was never a question of if we were going to get rid of slavery as a matter of when. That's why in the United States Constitution, it clearly says a 20-year import ban on slaves coming into the United States. And Thomas Jefferson, the first day he was able to do so as the third president in 1807, signed an import ban of all new slaves coming into the country. Vermont in year 1777, inspired by the Declaration of Independence, Laws of Nature and Nature's God, abolished slavery in the state of Vermont. Many other north, northeastern states followed suit in the years thereafter. George Washington in the Northwest Territories abolished all slavery in the Northwest Territories. Yet she focuses, hyper-focuses, wrongly on also an economic fallacy. She's actually saying that slavery makes countries richer. It's wrong. It's actually not right. This is one of the core pro-slavery arguments that the left makes without ever realizing it. Sometimes they realize it. Well, it's because the left used to own slaves. The Democrat Party is the party of slavery, the KKK, opposing the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, the Civil Rights Act, blacks' right to vote, blacks' right to speak, black family formation, and of course today is opposing black prosperity and actually wants more black people to be slaughtered in the streets. That's the Democrat Party. However, the Democrats make this argument a lot that the basis of property and domination came through slavery that people got richer because of slavery. If that's the case, why was the North so abundantly more prosperous than the slave South? It's because slavery, which is evil, immoral, and a sin, is not just all of those things. It's actually really bad economics. It's bad economics because you're not paying laborers their best wage to be able to have the best work. Slaves, of course, were not properly incentivized. They were owned as human beings. It also creates very lazy and unethical entrepreneurs that are not trying to innovate because they own other human beings all the time. So they get very lazy and they don't try to create new items 
or they don't try to create new skews or innovations in the marketplace. And so it's just bad economics. You're also having most of your population no purchasing power. That's dumb. So this idea that the American economy was built on slavery was built in the defiance of slavery. We got richer as we got rid of slavery. Our greatest economic advancements in our country came once we eradicated slavery. The Industrial Revolution, the greatest economic boom in American history happened once we got rid of slavery. And the second biggest economic boom post-World War II, 1960 to 1990, thanks to Ronald Reagan and the Republicans, came when we even had more equity in our society thanks to the National Civil Rights Act. So this idea that people were benefiting tremendously on the macro because of slavery is just complete and total nonsense. And for the slave owners that were doing that, they might have had temporary amounts of wealth and power. However, it actually made them so uncompetitive economically, and it's immoral, and it was a sin. And yet she says very clearly here that the idea of property is derived through whiteness and through black oppression. This is complete nonsense. How is how is that possible when the United States didn't technically exist in Vermont, and as Vermont is part of the United States, and they abolished slavery in year 1777 or the Northwest Territories? Please come on my show, Vicki Osterweil. I would really enjoy a conversation with you. She continues by saying, another trope that's very common is that looters and rioters are not part of the protest. They're not part of the movement. This has to do with the history of protesters trying to appear respectable and politically legible as a movement and not wanting to be too frightening or threatening. Again, every so often the left will tell you who they are. This is one of those amazing moments. You should pay attention and take them at their word. The rioters and the looters are the protesters and vice versa, according to her. Got that? They're all the same. She says there's no different. They're all part of the same backwards, malevolent, deceitful, bitter, destructive movement. And later she says it even more directly. Quote, it also totally erases the black folks who are at the core of the protests. It makes invisible the black people who are rising up and who are initiating the movement, who are at the core at its center who are doing it most important and valuable organizing and its most dangerous fighting. She continues by saying the most popular understanding of the civil rights movement is that it was successful when it was nonviolent and less successful when it's focused on black power. It's a myth that we get taught over and over again from the first moment we learn about the civil rights act. By the way, just so you understand, you keep reading this. There's no evidence at all when she says this. It's a lie. I mean, it's, it's so... It's so incredibly pathological that this stuff gets published on NPR. There's no facts, no evidence, no citations at all whatsoever. She continues by saying, in terms of political crimes that people can commit against the state, it's basically nonviolent. You're mass shoplifting. Most stores are insured. Oh, so if you're insured, it's perfectly fine to go take whatever you want. If a store is insured, take anything you need. Not as if their insurance rates won't go up. It does not disrupt the entire supply chains. And what happens if a a drugstore is insured and you go and steal all the vitamin C, all of the Advil and the Tylenol, all the necessary drugs for the local community, and it's just insured? What if you go to a grocery store and steal all the food and all of a sudden the 85-year-old that's at home is not able to access the food? Here's a really basic rule, and God gave us this in the uploaded moral app called the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal for a reason. It's steal because it's immoral. It's bad for society. It breaks down our entire ties. Can you believe here on the Charlie Kirk Show, I have to make a case against theft? This is Joe Biden's Democrat Party, everybody, that I now have to make a case against theft, against stealing. If this does not fire you up to go vote for Donald Trump, if this does not make you raging angry, then I have to do an extended program right now about how looting, rioting, arson, and terrorism is being platformed at the highest level. I do not know what will motivate you or animate you. 
The only good question of the entire interview Natalie Escobar asked was, quote, during recent riots, a recent sentiment I heard a lot was that looters in cities like Minneapolis were hurting their own cause by destroying small businesses in their own neighborhoods. Store owners by, owned by immigrants and people of color. What would you say to people who make that argument? Her answer is complete gibberish because there is not a good answer. She says, but looters and rioters don't attack private homes. Well, first of all, yes, they do all the time. Secondly, to say you're attacking your own community is to say rioters, you don't know what you're doing. This is what she says. But I disagree. I think people know. They might have worked in those shops. They might have shopped and followed, been followed around by security guards, by the owner. You know, one of the causes of the LA riots was a Korean small business owner murdering 15-year-old Latasha Harlins, who had come in to buy orange juice. And that was a family-owned, immigrant-owned business where anti-blackness and white supremacist violence was perpetuated. So she blames the Koreans again, but this time for white supremacy. But this is 2020, not 1992. And by the way, that example she uses is completely flawed. We'll get to that in a future podcast. But consider this. She says having security guards at your store is reason to burn them down and loot them. That's her reasoning. Here's what she said, too. When it comes to small businesses, family-owned businesses or locally-owned businesses, they're no more likely to provide worker protections. They're no more likely to have provide good stuff for the community than big business. It's actually a Republican myth. That has, over the last 20 years, really crawled even into leftist discourse that small business owner must be respected, that a small business owner creates jobs and is part of the community. But that's actually a right-wing myth. So she says that small business owners creating jobs, that small business owners that must be respected, these are all right-wing myths. Over 600 black businesses were burned down in Chicago, rioted or looted in Chicago or Minneapolis in just the last couple months. I'd love to have Vicki Osterweiler and her white liberal book deal that she signed where she gets to sign, sell $21 books on Amazon.com. Go tell me what happens if I went and just stole every single copy of the case for looting and all of a sudden you get an invoice back from your publisher saying that you owe your $100,000 for your advance, Vicki Osterweil. What happens if we come and steal all your stuff and this rubbish-filled book? You understand how immoral this is, what she is saying. And your children are learning this, by the way. Your children are learning this if they're at university. She continues by saying, police say, quote, we support peaceful, nonviolent protesters. We're out here to protect them and to protect them from people who are nonviolent. That's a police strategy to divide the movement. So a nonviolent protest organizer will tell the police their march route. Police will stop traffic for them. So you've got a dozen heavily armed men standing around here watching you march. That doesn't make me feel safe. What about this is nonviolent? So she, of course, conflates peaceful protesting cooperation with local police as divisive and as harmful. She is now, she and what we just went through in this program is indicative of the left. This is what I fight against every single day on college campuses. AOC, Elon Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Kamala Harris, and Joe Biden believe everything that she says. At its core, these are their guiding principles. Ideology on full display. And this lady is not an Alinskyite. She's not. She's not behaving like a moderate to fool you and lull you to sleep. She is being front and honest about her Marxism, platformed by NPR and supported by millions of people across the country. So what can we do to combat this? President Trump had the right idea today in his news conference, and this is Trump at his very best. Play tape. To defeat them, we must jail lawbreakers and we must defeat their hateful ideology about this country, about America. We must teach our children that America is an exceptional, free, and just nation worth defending, preserving, and protecting. 
And that's what we want to do. They want to destroy our country. They're going to destroy our suburbs. But I think I've gone a long way from allowing that to happen. Uh, the suburbs are protected, especially with the rule changes that I made. I took them out of the Obama administration. They were going to be made much worse. What we're witnessing today is a result of left-wing indoctrination in our nation's schools and universities. Many young Americans have been fed lies about America being a wicked nation plagued by racism. Indeed, Joe Biden and his party spent their entire convention spreading this hateful and destructive message while refusing to say one word about the violence. They didn't, dis didn't even discuss law enforcement, the police. Those words weren't mentioned. And we have to get our children to love America again. And we will have a, a podcast on this later this week. So are you guys convinced of the case for looting for by Vicki Osterweil, the white liberal charging you $21 for her book on Amazon.com? Well, she says she hates property. Are you convinced that we shouldn't steal other people's stuff? The immorality of the Democrat Party knows no bounds. They will not stop unless we stop them. These people are closer to power than ever before. And Joe Biden is a clueless vessel to give people like Vicki Osterweil ultimate power to take everything you have literally. She makes an argument that property should not exist. Your family heirloom should be stolen. Your savings gone. Anything that you value on the material should be taken from you. I wouldn't be surprised soon if there is a piece that says the case for murder, why bad people should be killed in the streets. Seriously, I could see it. That's where the left is going. As you know, the New York Times had a piece justifying pedophilia. That's where all these conversations are going. Marrying children, having relationships with young children, taking other people's stuff. This is no longer a conversation of high taxes versus lower taxes. If you support Joe Biden, you support everything that I talked about in this program and share this with your friends. California law SB 145, which would reclassify a lot of sex offenses and decriminalize pedophilia. This is where the American left and the Democrat Party is. If you vote for Joe Biden, you vote for the case for looting. And they can come for your family next. They can come for your 85-year-old grandmother and steal everything that she had, everything she worked for. Those early mornings, those late nights, they might steal your children. They might steal all of it. Because if there's no property, should you have, be able to have children? Why not take them too? This is Vicki Osterweil, the new spokeswoman for the Democrat Party. And I'm half kidding when I say that. And you guys can follow along at the article at npr.org, Natalie Escobar. Email me your questions, everybody. Freedom at charliekirk.com. Get involved with Turning Point USA at tpusa.com. If you guys want to get engaged, get involved in the fight on college campuses. And if you are not motivated... After this episode, man, and you don't see how this starts to play out. The intellectual defense now for widespread arson, looting, and taking of other people's stuff. Get involved. Do something about this. Own your precinct. Knock on doors. Make phone calls. Donate money to any sort of candidate you possibly can. Do something about this, everybody. We got to get President Trump four more years because if Joe Biden wins, people like Vicki Osterweil are going to run our government and we will have a country that looks like something similar to Somalia lawlessness, anarchy, and chaos. They're closer to power than ever before. If you guys want to win a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine, type in Charlie Kirk, show your podcast provider, hit subscribe, give us a five-star review, screenshot it, and email us at freedom at charliekirk.com and consider supporting us at charliekirk.com slash support, charliekirk.com slash support. Thank you guys so much for listening. Big week in store. We got Donald Trump Jr. as our sister episode today, Herschel Walker tomorrow, and many other episodes you know where to find the news, the analysis, and the perspective that you need. Thanks so much for listening. God bless. Talk to you soon.
We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.